0: Good morning, everyone. I am Trish I am the blog and podcast manager at Trapeze. I'm also the editor and producer of Transit Unplugged. We have people who listen to Transit Unplugged here, right? You guys all love Paul. Don't forget the Transit Unplugged live CEO Roundtable is this afternoon after lunch. Paul has a great lineup of guests. You do not want to miss this. It's fantastic. Now, although I do work for Trapeze, I love both companies equally. So I am wearing one Trapeze and one Vontus sock just to show I give the love equally. Now, last year at the product showcase, we laid out a new philosophy, a new path forward for Trapeze and Vontus products. Something that's more collaborative, something that focuses on the solutions. Like what do we actually need to solve? without deciding on what the product's gonna look like at the very end. Because I've come from the startup and dev world, and the product that you think you want is not the product you get at the end. And if you do it right, that's actually a good thing. But talk, talk is talk. So today, the rubber's gonna hit the road. We're gonna be talking about two products that were developed like this in collaboration with you to make something that is like, wow, that, yes, that is exactly what we need. We're gonna be talking about trapeze risk and Vauntus on-site. I'm really excited. I've been poking these guys with questions for about, what, three weeks now? And we only went through about 20 revisions, I'm fine. So I'm gonna call up to the stage first, Sabrina and Carly, to talk about risk. So I'm going old school, no cards. So we have a video to play first that's gonna explain a little bit about risk. A little short, one minute video. So can you have the video please?
1: Transit safety is on everybody's mind. Persistent safety concerns impact ridership, make it harder to recruit and retain drivers, and erode public trust in transit. Transit is all we do. Introducing Trapeze Risk. Working with transit agencies across the US and Canada, Trapeze created a safety management solution that lets you manage every aspect of your agency's safety plan. Whether you offer fixed route, rail, or demand response services. Risk's configurable dashboards allow your leadership team to see the status of every KPI that matters. Real-time visibility into your safety data means your leadership always stays informed. Risk provides a single source of truth for incidents, accidents, and other events. You get to choose which data sources to import and which items to enter directly into Risk. Our solution is cloud-native and mobile-friendly too, so your staff can take Risk anywhere their phone goes. RISC allows you to create flexible, automated workflows that reflect the way your agency works. Define the expected duration of tasks and the department that is responsible so you always know what needs to be done, who needs to do it, and by when. Get ahead of your safety plan. Prevent and prepare for safety hazards with trapeze risk. Head over to our incident management page to learn more about how trapeze risk can help you today.
0: That was awesome. Now, she's gonna hate me, but I'm, Bev D'Souza is the voice of the video. Let's all give a hand for Bev. Didn't she do a great job? So Sabrina, leading off with you first, that was a great video. It gave a super overview of risk. You and I have been talking about it since its, since it's early days. Is there anything else that you'd like people to know about risk?
2: No, I think that was a pretty good overview. I, I told Tris I was going to say this please come to my session at one forty-five. <laughs> we will talk very much more in depth about, about what the solution does, um, but that's a really great overview.
0: Cool. Now, Carly, when you've been talking to customers about risk, and you, there's, there's that moment in software when you're telling people about something that you just see everyone's go, everyone's go oh, can you tell us about those light bulb moments where people are just go, like, yes.
3: Yeah, sure, I think that it happens a lot through the conversation because when once you get started and you talk about some of the benefits that they see and they start to realize how much of um, a breadth it will have across the organization, right? So they realize, well, this department can talk to this department in real time and they can see it and they can trace it and they can track it. And then it's like realizing, oh, wait, no more spreadsheets, no more emails all of those things, and then you can see them starting to like, add up all of the things that they do in their head. So that's really what starts to get the conversations going.
0: And no more data silos. That's right. one of the most important yeah. things, is all of the data is together, and you don't have these data silos where one department even calls an incident one thing, and another part calls the same incident another. You've talked about that, where you might have the same incident recorded three different ways in three different
3: departments. Yeah, That's, that's no way to do, and, like, to do it. And how often do you send an email, and then you forget that you sent that email? That so, would be
0: any day that ends in Y. Right.
3: So then the, the follow-up of it, it's always there. In the morning you sign in, you see what your tasks are, you see what's outstanding, you see who owes you what, by when. So it allows them to really be accountable for their safety. So it, it's definitely um, an interesting conversation we're starting to have.
0: Yeah, I really like it. Now, I'm a, I'm a geek, clearly. And... Um, so I love a good origin story. Sabrina, when we've talked, you have a great origin story for risk. When you started off thinking, this is what we need to build. And then, and yet, as you talk to agencies across North America, they were like, no.
2: I was actually looking through some historical PowerPoints last night, and we had even more evolutions than I had remembered. Because um, before I even started at Trapeze, there was a huge focus on corrective action plans, which are super important in the safety world, but it's not all that we do in the safety world. But I came across like, some decks that were just full of corrective action flows, and that's like, pretty much all it was. Um, and then later on, we were like, well, maybe may all the agencies were focused on getting your agency safety plans done. Um, and so there was a lot of talk about that, and we had a moment where we were like, is, is helping people with their agency safety plan really where we should be? Turns out, no, <laughs> that isn't where we should be. Um, agencies, almost uniformly, almost every single one of them, everyone, everyone has different challenges and pain points, but the one thing we heard from everybody was our data. Is a problem. Our incident data is not—it's not normalized. It's different across our entire organization. We don't know what's going on, and the safety teams were really struggling with that. If you're, you know, only in, you know, dispatch or only in maintenance, you might not be feeling that pain as much, but the safety teams were super feeling it. So, we uh, we realized we had to pivot our focus a little bit, focus on getting the data right first, so that we could have all the other applications come off of that.
0: Yeah, because. It- Data is so essential to what we do, and without good data, you can't make good decisions. But you're still getting those aha moments because you're not, you're not done. You're refining constantly.
2: Yeah, and people hate to hear this, but we will never be done. <laughs> so every time we, ha- every time I have a conversation with a customer, I can't think of a time I haven't come away with an idea or a tweak. It might be big. It might be small. Maybe it's, we need to add this status here. We need to like change the location of something. And sometimes it's big. Can you make something big happen? So some of those we can sneak in right away. And some of those go on my, I have an idea log of things that are a really great idea that I've gotten from all the agencies that I've, I've been talking to for the past two years. Um, and so those are things that you know as we, as we progress, um, we'll start adding some of those in based on what agencies say they need the most. We want your participation in which of those things make it to the top of my list, because um, it shouldn't be me deciding it, because I'm not the one using it every day.
0: That's, it. That's actually the, the best point. You're not the one using it. It's up to you. And good software should never stop evolving, even though I think Microsoft should really stop evolving Word. It was good at version 6, and then, they, then it's all been downhill.
2: You don't like the ribbon?
0: Yeah, no, the ribbon's, I, can, I don't need the ribbon. Um, I don't need a project, a, a layout program, but that, thats the key to good software development: is listening to the people who are using it, and not having a preconceived notion of what it should be. Now, risk is totally different from a lot of our other Trapeze products in that you don't install it; it's SaaS, it's deployed. How does that work?
2: Yeah, so we—it's fully SaaS, fully cloud-native, so. Um, We won't install it on-prem. We will set you up a tenant that is special for you that no one else can see. Um, And it takes two minutes. (laughs) The majority of the time that we spend is on making sure that the system reflects how your agency works. Because that was the other big learning from our two years of discovery, is that no agency we talked to was like another agency that we talked to, so the majority of our time is spent making sure that the system is going to reflect your processes and the data you're trying to collect and the output you're trying to get. That's where we spend our time. There's no, there's no long, drawn-out installation process. That, that bit's easy.
0: And it's secure. I think in the, in the era of cybersecurity, which, uh, talking with Karen Philbrick it, another off stage and things, that cybersecurity, as you all know, is huge. And when you go cloud native, you have people whose teams of people whose lives are just dedicated to making sure your stuff stays secure.
2: Yeah, we get the benefit of the Azure data centers. They have more staff than we could ever dream of having to make sure that their setup is secure. Obviously there's pieces that, that we have to own to make sure that what we've built is secure, but we also benefit from leveraging. We have Azure as our as our hosting platform.
0: Yeah, so someone else worries about keeping the lights on, keeping it secure, you just have to use it, mm-hmm. which is, I think, that's the way software should all go. Now, Carly, let's talk about upgrades. It's like the evil word. Everyone's like, afraid of upgrades, but this is not your, your dad's software that you need to upgrade.
3: Right, there is no upgrade. Yeah. It will happen, you might not even know it happens, um, you might sign in, it might look a little bit different, but the functionality will be there. You can talk to Sabrina or talk to Customer Care, and you might be able to like envision something and it's gonna be a big change and that might take a, a little bit longer. But overall, the upgrades will happen through the night probably and you won't even notice that they're there.
0: Yeah, it'll just be continuous improvement to something that works better right. based on the feedback that you get.
2: yeah. And small changes. I think what people get scared of is like with a big, like when, when you're upgrading every three, four years, the changes are big. When you have a SaaS platform, you have the opportunity to make small continuous changes. Right. So there's no big things happening unless we tell you about them. If it's a big thing, we want to put it behind a feature switch. So that you're not shocked by that. Yeah. Um, but like a small bug fix or a small improvement, maybe someone said, oh, it would be really cool if like you know this, like we had a customer tell us, it'd be great if the reporting entities would drive the status of the event. And I was like, we could totally do that. That's pretty easy. We can roll that out and you would immediately see, oh, look, report's required. So there's not, um, it's a small continuous improvement, so they're not as scary.
3: Yeah. And also, it, it's very configurable, right? So one day you might want to look at safety like this. You have a, a meeting with your executives and you decide, you know what, we really need to start tracking how many people are you know, falling down at a certain station in a certain time of year. You don't need to call Trapeze to make that change. You can go in, click the download, you can change what you're measuring right then and there. So that's the beauty of it, because too. Because
0: tailored, like you said. That's right. If you've seen one transit agency, you've seen one transit agency, and that everyone calls things a little differently, mm-hmm. and software's supposed to work you, for you. Soft, you shouldn't, software shouldn't be dictating how you do your job, it's supposed to help you do your job better. Right. And I think a lot of what you're, you're showing is what is about risk, is it's tailored for you, and it works for you, and helps you get things done faster.
2: Yeah, I think I initially thought that we would be able to come up with like a single set of configurations that everybody would be cool with. No, that's not the case. <laughs> so that's why we went the route of making it really configurable. And my goal in design was to design myself out of the configuration process so that you don't need me unless you want to ask for help. Like You don't need to come to Trapeze for, for your average change that you need to make in your system. You want to add something, go at it. Yeah, that's cool.
0: It's just like anything else you're used to using outside of where you, you tailor Gmail, Dropbox, Google, whatever you You tailor to the way you want to work and what works for you, and that's why those, those software really set the standard. Now, it's, obviously it's in the name, safety for risk. How is risk helping overall safety? In, you know, in inside and outside, in, in general, in, tra- in transit?
2: So I th- I've seen that better risk identification happens through better incident management. Um, without, have, without knowing what's going on, you can't do anything about it. Um, and once you have that risk process that has the data it needs to identify your real risk, then you can do some, something about it. And that's when you start to see real changes in safety outcomes. So that's why that, you know, that's how it works. It's, um, it's, it's about the breadth of your knowledge. It's about giving you the tools and the toolbox to identify the safety problems at your agency and do something about it.
0: And uncover ones that you may not have been aware of.
2: Yeah, uncover yeah. Uncover patterns. Get feedback from people and you know, know what to do with that. Like, yeah. That's what the anonymous reporting tool is for, is to give people the ability to just tell you things that they might not have felt comfortable telling you before. And if 50 people tell you something you thought wasn't a problem, Maybe it's a problem, <laughs> and
3: then you can do something yeah. about it. And because it's, it's so user-friendly, it's so easy to use, it, it doesn't take huge training sessions to get everybody on board using it, so it really allows you to share the accountability across the agency, right? It's not just the safety department's responsibility, it's everyone's responsibility, and you have access to the tool, and you can start to see real change happen, right? right.
0: Because well, when, you, when you take ownership of something, mm-hmm. you can actually make a change. You don't That's feel right. powerless. you like, I can make safety better at my agency because I, I know yeah. what's going on. I can see it. I can contribute and say, this, this part isn't safe. Oh, yeah. this, hey, this gutter leaks and when it goes below freezing, there's a slippery spot on the platform.
3: Yeah. During one conversation I was having with a customer, we were talking about how it, it is empowering your employees to get more involved. Um, and one of the things that was brought up was it allows your employees to see it all the way through. So what happens sometimes is I'm going to you know, report an incident, but then I don't get any feedback. So maybe next time when I see something, I'm not gonna say anything because nothing was really done about it. But this will allow them to see it from the time that it's reported, and then they can see all of the actionable items that were done, and then they'll see a resolution at the end of it. Yeah. So it really gives like full visibility to the staff, so that they become again accountable for keeping the agency safe.
0: That's fantastic. Now we're gonna we're gonna transition to another pro- pro- uh, product. Vaughn is on site. Isn't necessarily about safety, but it has such a Important safety factor to it because the yard is a dangerous place. The maintenance shop is a dangerous place. And on site helps alleviate some of that danger. So I'm going to call onto the stage Hans from Vontis and Eliza Pendexter from CODA to talk to us about on site. Welcome. Good, you brought the show and tell. That's right. I'm I'm expecting to see some of this. So Hans, I'm gonna start off with you with a little quick intro to what OnSite is. Some people may have known it as Yard Manager, but it has a new name and a new identity and a new philosophy. And then a little quick rundown of what the project was with Vontus and Coda
4: with OnSite. Okay, thanks Tris. Um, you can think of onsite as a web-based application that provides uh, map and grid based views of the of the garages at, at whatever uh, agency uh, and that provides real-time visibility into where the vehicles are and then combines that with data from other systems to show you kind of at a glance what the status of your fleet is so are they you know are they ready for service do they need to be washed or do they have a maintenance hold that kind of thing um, and then through integration with uh, other systems as well, we can provide that location data so you get the the benefit of no longer needing to walk the yard, you know, to your to your point about safety uh, eliminating that time where people have to spend walking around in the yard um, either doing the yard walk and uh, recording all the locations or even just looking for a vehicle, right, for, for maintenance purposes. Um, so that those manual processes can be automated through that. So
0: tell me about uh, what you did at Coda. What was the, pro- the project? Because it was, we'll get into some of the details.
4: But what, we, what did you do at Coda? Sure, that's that's a harder one to be succinct about. I think, um, but at <laughs> the kind of big picture, there were there are two two garages at Coda, two facilities um, that we out, outfitted with um, with hardware. As you see, I brought one. We'll talk about uh, this tag in just a bit. But with hardware and then the software, obviously, to to provide that that view.
0: Fantastic, and it, and it works for everyone. It's not just. Dispatchers, but the operators will know exactly where their bus is at, So they can just walk right out to it.
4: Yeah, that's right So there are there are other parts of the system that provide that kind of value and insight So for the drivers, there's a, a screen a view that they can get that shows um, Their assigned work when they're supposed to pull out and the location of the vehicle so they can go straight there They don't have to you know check back in with with the window dispatcher to see hey, have you assigned me a vehicle yet? You know, it's it's there in there in their driver lounge so they can see it and, and uh, make sure that they're ready to pull out on time.
0: Fantastic. Now, OK, tell us about this hockey puck sized dome.
4: Yeah, or sometimes we like to affectionately refer to it as a snow globe. But um, so we, we put two of these on, um, on the buses, one kind of in the front and the back. These are ultra-wideband based tags, and so they're beaconing on a very regular basis. And then infrastructure antennas, pick up those beacons and calculate the, the location of the vehicle, and then that gets you know, passed up to the user through the application.
0: And why do they have to be in pairs? Well,
4: there's really two reasons that we do that. One is um, it really gives a definitive heading of the vehicle. So you could calculate the heading based on movement of the tag, but it's that's not, that's not as reliable, so that's one reason. And the other is just a, an element of redundancy. So if a tag fails or were to be knocked off or something, uh, you can still locate the vehicle.
0: And they're, they're battery powered and they last a long
4: time. And... Yeah, that's right. So they're battery powered. One of the nice things is they're, that makes it very easy to install. Yeah, have a multi, multi-year battery life. And uh, they report their voltage level every time they beacon. So we have you know, tracking of that and reporting of that in the system too so that you know if, if a tag's getting low it needs to be serviced. That sounds great.
0: OK, now, Eliza, we got to talk yesterday about this project. And it was fantastic for everyone who didn't get this cool story, what drove this project to bring on-site to Coda?
5: I like that you called it a cool story. (laughs) It is a cool story. (laughs) Um, So Coda really had a need to be able to deliver location-based information beyond somebody driving around with a clipboard and writing down bus numbers. And because we already had Trapeze Ops, we wanted a product to automatically feed those locations into ops for us, Um, but multiple departments use this information. Um, We use it at our division desk to assign work for pullout, IT can use it if they need to do some IT-related work, and um, of course our vehicle maintenance folks use it as well. So we just need a better way to locate our vehicles. We also are really chaotic about doing construction all the time to continuously improve our facilities. So we have vehicles that might be housed at one garage during one service change and they get moved a couple weeks later to the other garage. So we have lots of moving pieces and we need to be able to efficiently track where things are.
0: Right. And they and as buses come in, mm-hmm. they can be flagged, this needs to need maintenance, and needs a maintenance sure. hold, needs a watch, all that.
5: Right. We also have a lot of vehicle maintenance staff that are um their their job function right now is to basically wait for buses to pull in and let them know where to park. Um and through using on site, I keep wanting to call it yard manager. But Through using onsite, we're able to show the driver as they're pulling in which row they're supposed to go park in, Um, so that's one of the elements as well.
0: And that's becoming especially important as you're making the transition to zero emissions because you have more battery electric buses that are gonna need charging.
5: Sure, we're also updating a lot of our charging infrastructure, Um, so we have only a few designated places where those vehicles can park to charge.
0: Cool, Mm -hmm. let's talk about the safety a little bit more. And I know a bus operator. who lives a couple of doors down from me, and I know that it's not always. You know, we've talked about safe in the yard. How is on-site to both of you helping just that aspect of safety?
4: Yeah, big picture. Really, the the more you can reduce people's need to wander around in you know a busy bus garage, um, the the fewer chances there are for someone to have for a strike to occur, right? Um, I, I know that, as you know, especially working on some of these projects, walking around in the yard, you know, there have been a couple of times where buses were coming in you know, kind of fast. And um, if you're not on your toes, it can be a, it can be a hair-raising experience. So um, the, the fewer times that people have to walk the yard you know, is one element of that. And there's another element that is, if people know exactly where they need to get to, because right, they know where the vehicle is and they've been assigned a particular vehicle, They can go right there. They're not wandering around, you know, like searching where they might be distracted, um, you know, and have a a better chance, if you will, that something bad happens.
0: And because buses are parked where they they're supposed to be, you don't have to move them. So you you reduce the risk of buses running into each other.
5: Yeah, we've been able to streamline um, some some processes as far as. We'll eventually be able to have the automatic parking assignment in, in play. Um, so we'll be able to know if a bus is fueled, if it's washed, it's clean, it's ready to go, or if it's assigned maintenance in the coming week or next day, we can park that on a different row.
0: Cool. Okay, now here's here's the big software question that we all ask, and it's, it's a real one. What happened if What would happen to Coda if we took onsite away today?
5: So it's super interesting because initially there was a lot of concern about you're trying to automate my job or you're trying to to you know, eliminate my job, and that's a real concern that people have. But really, we just wanted to get folks back to doing vehicle maintenance. Um, so what has happened when the service goes down or with a tag failure is folks immediately let us know. Um, Jeremy's in the in the crowd, and he gets a call at two a.m. occasionally that <laughs> something is wrong, and it, they've really come to rely on it because it, it gains so much efficiency.
0: Fantastic. That's what that's what that's the goal of software is. If you make something and people don't know, notice it's missing, that's not good. If, if people notice it's missing and it really messes up their day, then you've done your job. That's, that is really, really critical. Let's talk about working Vontus and Coda together on this project. And I think it's worth telling a little bit of a backstory of how you actually got to this, I don't know what, Idea point, 2.0 of where onsite came to be.
4: Yeah, so the project started with you know with an RFP um, like m- many projects do, and um, at the time the solution was different than what we're showing you here today. So I think even you know there may be some things that are that are similar. Certainly conceptually they're similar, but I think for everything from the the hardware element of it to the software element is is essentially completely different at this time. Um, The prior technology was uh, an RFID-based solution. And um, we were actually in the... We had started implementing that project, and we had already started looking at what the next generation solution was going to be. Um, And at that point, we were convinced that the right thing to do was to move to the the next gen, even though it wasn't quite ready yet, because just the performance was gonna be that much better than what we were in the process of installing, and so... um, you know, Our leadership talked with Coda leadership and asked if they were willing to partner uh, with us to bring this new solution to market, essentially, right to be our, our close partner in that. And uh, yeah, thankfully, Coda was willing to do that. So we sort of reset some of the project schedule to align with um, what we were building and started just really working closely to make sure that the solution would, would be uh, one that solved the problems right? that Coda had and that the industry had.
0: You want to talk about the, that working with Fontas from the agency point of view?
5: Yeah, so in all fairness, the project kicked off before I worked at Coda, so I don't know all of the context. Um, but what I do know is Vontus was able to help us revise our plans as we had construction going on, we had a need to move some of the hardware around, um, and even when we had some, some this is the what, third um, prototype?
4: Yeah, essentially. The- so
5: even we noticed because of our weather and because of the style buses we have where water actually pools on top, we did have a couple iterations of the the hardware too. And, and Vontus has been good about working with us to make sure that we get something that's appropriate for our climate and our, our potholes and all the, the things that happen to our buses through vibration and stuff like that. Um, so it's been a pretty collaborative process.
0: It sounds like... This collaboration typifies how better software is made by not defining the endpoint at the beginning. You're, you're working through that process. From both sides, do you think you you've, would have a good a, as good a product as Onsite is now if you didn't actually develop it like this in concert with Coda?
4: Certainly not. I mean, the, as a technologist, right, it can be really easy to get focused on the, on the solution and the technology uh, but it 's really most important to get close to the problems you know to understand the problems that you 're actually trying to solve, um, and the best way to do that is to spend time with your customers talking to them, uh, understanding the jobs that they 're trying to accomplish so um, yeah certainly w- certainly not if we hadn 't been working closely together, uh, we would not have the solution that we have today um, and you know one of the interesting things about about this was, and certainly something I really appreciate about working with Coda on it is the willingness to, um, to really explore what they needed. You know, there was an RFP, um, and certainly that still factored in even to our, our Gen 2 solution. You know, we went back, we looked at the compliance, we made review and, and modified if things weren't relevant anymore. But the willingness on Coda's part to really do that and to be focused on what was gonna be you know, the best solution and outcome for them, I think um, is a key part of why you know, we had the success that we did.
5: And you also love coming and spending time in the garages in Columbus okay. overnight.
4: Abs-
0: absolutely. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> Elijah, is there, a, is there a, a feature that you suggested that made it into the product?
5: Oh no, I don't remember. Oh, is that the tag health reporting tools?
4: So that would be that's that's one element sure of <laughs> um of feedback that was incorporated. I mean, there's a number of things that that I was thinking about. You know, sometimes it's small stuff like um Dan I think actually was asking for a way to see if vehicles were still in a maintenance bay, but um you know, their maintenance was Done in terms of the EAM system, so just trying to make sure that if if maintenance was complete, vehicles were getting back out on the street and not just sitting there in the bay. So you know that was an example where we added a, an additional kind of rule and style um, to be able to show that really you know simply. So that's a that's a little one. There's certainly other larger um, improvements that came from suggestions, but that whole process was what drove it.
0: Yeah, it's the little ones I think actually make. Can really make or break the little little creature comfort features that make or break software but now i'm going to put it to the whole group and the rfp example you gave for coda is where i want the kind of the rest of the discussion to go because typically rfps define this box this is i want a this and as we were talking uh preparing for this you said sometimes the rfp was written and some of the people who wrote it aren't even there, and you don't even know what that, requ- what does this requirement mean? So let's talk about it as a group about how we can make RFPs better so that the end product is better, to make it more collaborative, to define, the, not define what the solution is going to be, but what do you actually need? So I'm gonna open it up to the floor.
2: I think it's fascinating that I read RFPs sometimes, and I know what piece of software that they were thinking about when they wrote it, because <laughs> it's really super specific about how everything should work. Um, and I feel like, f- from a purchaser side, it really does you a disservice because you're sort of you're you're imagining the solution instead of telling us what the problem is that you're trying to solve and what the outcomes that you want are. Because um, if you if you if you can define that really clearly and let vendors, not even us, like all vendors, like say here's how we solve that problem. Um, oftentimes you might find that you know there's some there's some really smart people out there <laughs> thinking about how to solve these problems. And they can sometimes they can show you what might be a better way. So I feel really passionately about that. I read a couple RFPs recently where I literally am like, I know exactly which piece of software they modeled this RFP on, because <laughs> it's so specific. Um, and that really boxes people in and what they can offer you. And oftentimes, it might make it more expensive, because we're trying to solve for the how, and that might take us more time and effort than the how that we already have. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important for folks to have an open mind about that and think about it. Like if, if, you, if you put exactly the, the buttons you want to click in your, in your RFP, you're probably um, not helping software vendors help you.
0: Yeah, it's that agile question of you define, I would like my dispatchers to know exactly where all the buses are at the moment. Okay, that's the problem we're solving. Okay, now let's figure out how to do it. I think this is, this is where software could go. Hans, we've talked about this as well for, for on-site in, in that process of developing it from this RFP. This seems to be how you got to this product.
4: Yeah, I mean, in, in reflecting on that, I think that the RFP that we did respond to was, was pretty good in that respect. It was driven more really by what... Um, you know, business outcomes they wanted. And so that helped us certainly as we did the pivot, you know, there were what we were addressing were things more like, um, I think maybe in the original it talked about the tags needed to be wired in, you know, this kinds of thing. And we were switching to battery power tags. So, you know, some things like that that just fundamentally changed about the system. Um, but yeah, certainly you have RFPs where everything is really, really prescriptive. And then you typically get into the project and you really end up being much more focused on, okay, can we check the box for all these requirements? And then that kind of becomes what you define as success. But sometimes that's not really aligned with what the business needed, mm-hmm. you know? So you, you wanna, ideally if you can you know, prevent the RFP from kind of pushing you into that situation, that would be best. But even if that does happen, um, just to make sure that you're really having those conversations and getting to the meat of what uh, what the agency's trying to accomplish will, st- will still give you a better outcome for sure in the end.
0: So if, if you were going to give some advice to writing an RFP to help change this philosophy, because this is a philosophical, it's a paradigm shift. of like, I'm not, I don't, you're stop envisioning this piece of software. I want to write a document, um like if you imagine what a word processor does now, if you say, well, I want this, that, and the other thing, and you say, well, I want Word. But what if Google Docs is better, right? What if I want to be able to do it on my phone? How how do you think people should approach writing RFPs to embrace this philosophy of, we're not gonna define exactly what we're gonna get, but this is what we want to accomplish. This is the business goal.
2: I think I would focus on two things. I would focus on, what are my biggest pain points today that I'm trying to avoid? What are those big pain points that caused me to go to Um, And then the second thing would be, what are the outcomes I'm looking for? What are the basic, what are the basic goals of what this thing should accomplish, what it should do, the objectives, and define those, um, unless, like, how we want to do it? I think the biggest thing I see outside of like writing out a piece of existing software, is writing out your existing manual process. <laughs> so I want this piece of software to mimic my existing manual process. Um, but, so think about what you're trying to accomplish. What is that manual process doing for you? Why do you do it? What are you trying to accomplish? And try to figure out how to write that, and invite people to explain to you how their piece of software could do that. Um, and, and you might be surprised.
0: And maybe in that, that process of writing a process, you realize maybe it's, the problem is the process, right. not the, you know. and I think it's that when I've done this for software as well, you know, like, oh, I need to do this, that, and the other, and then someone says, do you really need to do that? Oh, maybe I don't need to do that, and that, can be really illuminating into making something.
2: I try not to say that to I try to say, tell me why you're doing that. <laughs>
0: well, that's true. It's I'm, more I'm, I'm, as a As a software developer, we're a little more blunt. Oh, we okay. have fewer social skills. <laughs> we sometimes forget. But it's, it's that serendipity, I think, that makes software great, is that when you ask these questions, you get the serendipity, and you get something wonderful. Like, hey, this bus is fixed. It's ready to go. Why is it still in the garage, right? Okay, Carly, you look like you're gonna say something.
3: Yeah, it was just about, going back to what Sabrina's saying, it's like having the conversations, Mm -hmm. right? You have to have the conversations with the people that are going to be using it, because if it's one group that is never gonna use the product and they're the ones that are defining how the success criteria is gonna be laid out, The people who actually are gonna be using it will never use it. And then you have a problem. You've spent all of this money and you're not getting what you should be getting out of it. So talk to your users. Talk to the the actual people on the street that you want to adopt this new solution. And I would back
5: it up too to the RFP process. When you're developing an RFP, make sure you have the right stakeholders involved um, before it gets posted would be ideal. Um, so that's something that Coda is working really hard on, is making sure we have all the correct stakeholders at the right time of the process so that we prevent some of the, the changes later.
0: The oops, no, oh, I guess you don't do that anymore, do you?
5: Sure, or a lot of times uh, working in the innovation department, we have folks come to us and they say, I want X software. And then our job is to say, well, why? What problem are you trying right. to solve? Maybe that's not even the right solution. Mm-hmm. So just making sure that everybody's aligned before we make a big investment would be great.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that, that is huge. Uh, and like, talking to people who are gonna actually use the software, I've heard a lot of examples of even CAD, the cad AVL software where operators go, they can get, no, that is way too much on the screen. I can't even poke that with my finger. And are like, okay, well, let's, let's change that up. And that's so essential, right? It's, it's important for good software. Well, this has been fantastic. I wasn't gonna open up to questions because that's always dangerous. <laughs> but if someone has a question, we have time. Does anyone have a, a question you'd like to ask the panel?
3: Phew. Not all at once. Guys. Not
0: all at once. <laughs> it's okay if you don't have any questions because uh, we can all go back to the product showcase. That's kind of the, the, the way we wanted to do this is, is give people time to now go back and go to the product, showcase, and talk to the people who are making the product, and tell them I would love if my software did this. I would love to take, stop this manual process. Can you help me? Because this is where we can really build something exciting together. It's what I love about building software, is building something exciting together and makes someone's life better. Um, I come across software all the time. It's like, I can't imagine not doing my job without this piece of software. Oh, good, I have a question. Yeah, please. Sure. Have, have you ever uh, uh, So, so to, to repeat the question, the question was, have you, if, a, if an RF, RFP is so boxed in, have you just walked away from it? Because it's like, it's, it's so prescribed.
2: So yes. <laughs> Um, it depends though. Like sometimes if, if I feel really strongly that our solution offers an alternative that is, is better or, you know, as good as, but then like you end up writing a lot of words about why you're not doing X, (laughs) Y, Z. And that's really hard, especially when there's a compliance matrix that says, you know, this is a must have, you must say yes. Um, so sometimes if it's, if it's, too far different from your how, you end up saying, well, maybe it's not worth it. Um, but sometimes, you know, some, sometimes you'll give it a shot, but there's always that piece. I know it takes you guys a lot of time to generate them, it takes us a lot of time to respond. So you, you always are doing that balancing act where you're thinking, okay, is the way this is written make it seem like saying no? Means that there's sort of no point, and then you have to say no. I'm just not going to do it. So sometimes yes, sometimes no, but it's always a, it, you know, it always feels like a, a bigger gamble, like that it'll even be considered. And then you just have to make decisions about where to spend your time.
0: It's a great question. It kind of comes to the fact of, are are we ready to change how RFPs are written? Almost.
2: Oh, it's hard because there's a lot of good reasons why RFPs are written the way they're written. Like I get that. I'm not trying to. And I'll say that that's, they're not being done that way for a good reason, because they are. Um, but at the same time, like, I'm, we might have gone a little far, I feel, personally, in that direction where we're being super prescriptive and super... like it, it just prevents people from showing you
5: how they could best serve you.
0: And go, go ahead. Oh,
5: I was just going to say, at least our agency, we typically build in a timeframe where a vendor can ask questions. Um so that might be a way to meet in the middle like hey this might be an alternative um or i have a question about this requirement and we're able to respond through that process.
0: Yeah. And then we can come back what if?
2: We do that. Sometimes lately i've seen some really short question periods. Yeah. <laughs> we're like yeah. we like we missed it one time because we didn't even know it existed right. until the question period was over. Um, but yes, that's a, that's a good point. We can, we can sometimes get advice on how to respond in cases where there's that kind of variance through the question period.
3: And then it goes back to what we were saying before about having the conversations. right? When Even if you are going through an RFP because of corporate governance and all of the things that you need to do, you can still have those conversations with the vendor. Because if you wrote it a specific way. It doesn't have to stay that way. And it's better to change it at that point in time than you get all the way down the road, you've written someone a check and then you're like, "Wow, this is not what we needed." So then you have to start maybe from scratch again or, you know, you're you half I don't want to say. I, don't, I was going to swear. Sorry. <laughs>
0: Only Karen was allowed to swear on stage.
3: I caught myself. But, you know, when you buy something, you want it to be the product that you want your employees to be using. So allowing for those conversations through that RFP process, not only will the agency get what they're looking for, the person that you're trusting to deliver it will have a better understanding of it. And then at the end, you have a successful outcome. Yeah,
0: because RFPs do protect the public. I mean, this is public money. They are essential, make no bones about it. They are essential to making sure Money is spent well and wisely, mm-hmm. but let's make sure in that well and wisely you get something that doesn't need a ton of rework. Right. You don't go like, oh, I thought I wanted a four-door sedan, but I really need an SUV. Well, if we had asked you how many times you take your kids to soccer with the dog, and then we could have said, well, you know what? You might need something a little bigger. And I think that's a process that helps serendipity, that helps innovation, that is really Essential.
3: Sometimes the conversations, you think they might slow the process down, but in actuality, it will just speed it up at the end of the day. Because you bought something that you truly need, your needs are gonna be met, and then you're allowed to deploy it that much faster. So it's that adage, right? Slow down to speed up.
0: With less rework. There's always Mm -hmm. gonna be changes at the end, but that's a collaborative process that you've gone through, you've adapted the software. Well, if there's no more questions, I appreciate, thank you very much, for that. that was a great question. Thank you all
4: for coming to the product showcase. Can I, oh, you, can I add please. one more thing in? I, just, as I was listening here, that just kept coming back to my mind, this idea like starting with why, right? So mm. at the agency level, but also for us, really understanding why are we building this? And sort of from a more software development focused perspective, that's really, really helpful for like my team, you know, I want them to understand why we need to build this, not to be just checking the boxes. You know, uh, the level of engagement is so different, and it really allows um, you know the people building the solutions and working with the customer to build the solution to um, to engage and really put their creativity into it when they know that versus sort of just you know we're checking all the all the boxes so to speak. So.
2: That's so true. With my dev team, when they ask me a question about the thing they're building, I always start with, here's the scenario. Here's what's happening in real life. And if we don't know what that is because it's just a a line that we're checking off, um, it's really hard for us to answer, well, it says that it should do this. Um, But it's really helpful to have those real-life scenarios when talking to developers. I don't know how many of you talk to developers, but it really does help them understand what they're trying to accomplish in a much more deep way.
0: And fosters innovation and imagination, which is what this is really all about. Thank you, everyone, for coming to the product showcase. Thank you. appreciate it.